You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's turn in our scriptures to Mark 14 again. We are getting through this chapter, verse by verse. Verse 43 is where we're at this week, Mark 14, 43. And our picture from last week came, I had a, just a couple came in, but Malachi gave us a picture again of the Garden of Gethsemane, where we were. Um, Jesus there praying. Can you see those black figures out there? That gets us into the context of where we're reading. Those are those disciples, Peter, James, and John, who went with them. And it looks like they're sleeping, aren't they, Malachi? That's what's going on. Snoozing away while Jesus is saying, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if so, if I've got to go here, then your will be done. Thanks, Malachi, for that. Let's read God's Word in this section of betrayal, this dark night, uh, the dark night of the soul for Jesus in prayer and now begins to unravel um, according to man, (laughs) not according to God. But let's read through God's Word here, starting in verse 43 of Mark chapter 14. And immediately while he was still speaking... Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let me pray for us again. Lord, your word is sure. Your promises are sure. And so, Lord, drive them deep into our hearts today that as we're refreshed and we renewed in worship, Lord, Worship renews us as we gaze our eyes upon the only one who is sure and steadfast and who is worthy of glory. None of us are. It's not our goal. It's not our... I think at times it is, Lord, and we ask forgiveness. And we pray that your glory, glorified amongst us. So, Lord, guide our time in here, in this particular passage, to be challenged in our discipleship, and to be challenged to look once again to the sure anchor of the soul looking at Jesus Christ. And we just ask your Holy Spirit to guide us, guide my words, guide what we hear, guide these kids as they're drawing these pictures that these truths would go deep into their hearts too. And Lord, moms that are holding little kids today, I pray that you would work in their hearts to hear one phrase, Lord, I know that it's hard to hear, Lord, that you would just encourage their hearts as well. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. 
question begins our time is thinking about promises as we've even sung about them some this morning. Um, question is, is there any promise you can fully depend on? Is there any promise you can fully depend on? We, I think, live in a day, and I don't know if it's much unlike any other day, but um, we have our fill of broken promises going on, whether it be marriage, whether it be contracts that have an opt-out to them. You know, you can do this, but there's always a, there's maybe a loophole or there's a way out of it. And so we live in a, uh, maybe a, a setting and a culture of promises that we really, somebody promises to do something, we might just say, eh, yeah, maybe, maybe that'll happen. But as we head back to this garden scene, this garden of Gethsemane, we are watching a sure promise unfold before us and hopefully you'll see that as we go through here um, and again as we come to God's word the sure promise that's here so we want to begin looking here at just who has come out to Jesus in this garden this uh, mount of olives place kind of beside uh, the temple mount who is it that's come out first we're going to look at this crowd that's come out and then this betraying kiss of the friend two different ones that are coming out here to see uh, Jesus, and not with good motives. Here's this crowd. As we looked in chapter 12 of Mark, this group, we, you see it, the chief priests, their scribes, their elders, call this group making up this Sanhedrin, kind of this court of law in the Jewish uh, people of the day, this conglomeration of the different maybe sects of Judaism that come together to uh, make judgment in, in this court. Gospel accounts here, and I believe all four Gospels uh, have this, this setting and this, this story, this account in them, and they differ a bit on this crowd, whether it's coming from the Sanhedrin or maybe consisting, I think it's in John, where this is actually some of the leaders, the officers are actually coming out. Whether it's a crowd or a posse, you might think, coming from the Sanhedrin, coming out to Jesus in the middle of the night, or maybe it's just some of these leaders uh, themselves. What is clear is, is where they've come from. This was not some rebel crowd that just kind of poof out of nowhere happened to be. This is calculated. This is a crowd coming uh, for something. It's the Jewish leadership itself. And so we could say, in a sense, though the whole nation is not coming, in a sense you could say all of Israel has come out, at least its leadership, which represents all of Israel, has come out to this garden, to this place for the purposes to seize Jesus. The irony of this, if you think of this crowd, if they're hardcore, they're, they're the Jew to the bone, they're going to they're gonna follow. What have they just been doing this night? They've been celebrating the Passover. That time of worship, going through the ritual, the remembrance of Yahweh delivering His people um, out of slavery, out of Egypt. And now before them, as they head to this garden, the Deliverer, the one whom the Lamb points to, is before them again. But instead of worship, instead of continuing this night of worship, they've now got swords or dagger-like things in their hands, clubs in their hands. They've come out to seize Jesus. How quickly they have moved from worship to waywardness. That, almost that quick. Lest we come down on them too quickly, we're much the same way, are we not? Let's say we're 
Sanhedrin. We talked last week about the 32 steps it takes, at least by my feet, from the middle to the door, some even sooner, how quickly we can worship, say, right? We can sing with our lips, glorify your name. And then with the same lips John talks about, or James talks about, then we, we curse people that are created in his image. May we, by God's grace and power in the Holy Spirit, go from here with lips that continue in the praise of our Lord, the praise of this name. So on this darkest of nights, we see this crowd coming, and then here comes that one uh, we all want to also look at, Judas, the betrayer. And he's called here one of the twelve. Uh, this occurs three times. If you look, it's in verse, uh, at verse 43. Judas came and it says, one of the twelve. Three times. Verse 10 in this same chapter talks about Judas as one of the twelve, that he went to these chief priests in order to betray Jesus. Verse 20, you can look at. Jesus says, uh, I believe it's at the Passover meal, that the one who will betray him is one of the twelve. And now, of course, here in verse 43, we've got the same wording. And I think Mark is wanting to tell us something by this insertion of this one of the twelve. It's not just some Roman general or some enemy of Jesus like the chief priests or the Sadducees or the Pharisees. It's not. It's, it's actually one of the twelve. It's one of those inner circle, a friend and a close companion to Jesus. And as we've seen, Judas has already met with this group and he's been seeking an opportunity to betray Jesus. And let's listen as we look at verse 43, or I'm sorry, 44, the plan, this is kind of what plan had already been in place before they ever got to the garden that night. Here's the plan, verse 44. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. So there's a plan before this. Here's, I'm going to kiss this guy. That's the one. You seize him, take him away under guard. If we had, if this is all we had of scriptural material, it would be enough to understand the story and the, how it's going in the account and the narrative. But John's gospel sheds further light on really the spiritual powers at work on this night. Now, we're going to go some other places. You don't need to go here unless you want to. But John 13, if you want to write that down, tells us that earlier that night, Judas was eating next to Jesus at this Passover meal. And when Jesus gave that morsel of bread to Jesus, John's gospel says Satan entered into him. And after, uh, John continues, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. What does that tell us? It tells us this planning, this scene. It's not just simply a man against man, but there are spiritual forces of evil going on and present in what is happening here. And it sheds light on this phrase and this planning of Judas here in this case. And here's Satan's plan. Betray him, arrest, and kill Jesus. His death. And he uses Judas as part of this plan. Think of Satan throughout, I mean, just think of throughout the book of Mark. Satan cannot defeat Jesus by temptation, can he? We learned about that. It he didn't, didn't happen. Jesus withstood temptation. Satan cannot defeat Jesus by his demons. What did Jesus do every time there was a demon? He overpowered. There was nothing that demon, by words, demons comes out. 
All these things. Jesus is mightier. He is the mighty one that has come. Satan cannot thwart him. Satan can't defeat Jesus in the public arena. These guys come up with all these different challenges and questions and every one of them, Jesus pecks them off and says, authority, and these people come away and say, wow, we've never heard authority like this. Satan can't even defeat Jesus in the public arena. So on this night, we ask, would Satan finally have a victory? If we didn't know, most of us, you've read the end of the story, and we know, no, it doesn't. What if you didn't have that? If you're right here, is he going to get the victory? Is he going to finally overcome? Is this one we thought would lead, the Savior that's come to heal the sick and come for the lost, is this going to end here? But here, and I think this is interesting, here's what Satan seemingly does not know. He does not know that the death of Jesus means the defeat, not of Jesus, but of Satan, of death. And the victory is actually by Jesus, the Son of God. You think of a recent suicide that took place in our community. And perhaps it seemed as if Satan's temptation to a young man had won the day. But think of how God ultimately thwarted Satan's plans. The gospel was preached in a funeral. of Someone suicide, we think it's a, it's a harsh impact. We can still pray for the family. And yet the gospel went out and God had the victory. The gospel was proclaimed to many. Satan was defeated. In our lives, I think Satan seems maybe to us, to get a short-term victory. They're going to seize him. They're going to take him away. We've read that already. We know that story. He's going to eventually go to the cross. Short-term victory, and yet God is sovereign. Nothing can thwart the plan of God. So why the kiss? Judas comes. It's the one I kiss. That's going to be the guy. Why, Why do we need that? Don't we just know who Jesus is? Um... Hadn't Jesus taught in the temple? The crowds would know him. Here's a couple thoughts. Number one, one explanation. The kiss would allow this group to get close enough without arousing suspicion. So Judas comes in the kiss and the whole crowd and this kiss gets them right into the presence of Jesus. Had they maybe come with all the clubs and said, we're here to seize you. You know, no, no good policeman, you know, would just yell that. You want to come up and get close enough so that you can seize. And so perhaps the kiss got them closer. Uh, another reason is it's dark outside. We're going to remember time of day that we're in. Darkness, it's hard to distinguish. Um, you know, I don't think they had the posters out, you know, with a picture on Jesus, uh, you know, exactly what he looks like. I don't know. We're, we're going off paintings from the time. Many had long hair. Maybe it's hard to discern, especially at night. Who is it? But who would know? Judas would know. It's one of the closest companions would know who they were going to meet. And so he, he's there to seal the deal, to confirm, this is the guy. You want Jesus? I'm going to take you to him. And it's the guy that I'm going to kiss. And that's the guy to seize. So Judas then, having planned this in advance, approaches Jesus, and we come to verse 45. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. This greeting of a kiss, I don't 
I'm not sure if any of you have greeted anyone else that way this morning. We don't typically do that here in our, in our body. We might shake a hand. Um, other countries, it's more, it's more accepted and normal. Um, but it's, it's, it's a kiss. What does it represent? It represents affection, kindness, a welcome, a greeting of friends and this sort of thing. Common greeting, even a greeting of a disciple to a rabbi. So this is common. Disciple Judas comes, kisses the rabbi. Rabbi, hello. And there's this greeting of a kiss. This greeting of affection. But this night, this gesture of this kiss, it's turned upside down, isn't it? It's supposed to be of affection and kindness, but it's one of hatred and betrayal of Judas. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Why? I think because the closeness hurts that much more. Maybe an enemy that you're not very close to doesn't perhaps hurt as much. Somebody close, a companion, a friend, and a kiss of affection, and then the betrayal hurts that much more. There's a song maybe some of you think of as we go through this passage and think of this kiss. It's by Michael Card. It's an older song, but I'll just read you some of the lyrics from it that he pens to this moment, this rabbi, and Judas kisses him, and he says, Why did it have to be a friend? who chose to betray the Lord. Why did he use a kiss to show them? That's not what a kiss is for. Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause so much pain. There's already misery on this night. And now Judas, this close companion, this one of the twelve, comes. And betrays Jesus with a kiss. So verse 46. Based on this kiss, this crowd from the Sanhedrin sees Jesus. And then in verse 47, we have an account of someone grabbing their sword or dagger. And they strike this servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. And we might ask, who did that? Mark doesn't tell us. It's one of those. Who drew the sword? Who cut the ear off? Again, John's Gospel helps fill in the gaps. John 18.10 says, Then Simon Peter, okay, it's Peter. Peter's behind this. Having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. It says, all of a sudden, you know, remember Malachi's picture where the three are sleeping? They're snoozing, and all of a sudden, Peter's awake, and he's ready to defend and ready to to fight this crowd and take it on. And yet he has not prepared himself, has he, through this night by prayer, that though his spirit is willing, his flesh is weak, he's not prepared like Jesus has, kind of waking up and slicing ears whether this was intentional of the ear or Peter, I've heard some say he just missed. Maybe he was aiming somewhere else and he was a bad draw on the sword and hit the ear. We don't know. That's just speculation. What we can understand is I think this moment in this account, it's a pivotal moment right here where we're at. And Jesus is faced with two options. 
There's one option. The first one is in verse 49. Jesus says, Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. Wait, wait, wait. That's not 49. I read the wrong one. That didn't sound right. It's 48. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Option number one, Jesus could, if they come out with a robber with swords, he's got, there's some swords. Option one is to fight. Maybe fight this mob, fight this injustice with some heavenly firepower. Certainly he could have, couldn't he? Well, I mean, we would all agree Jesus could have sent and the legions and, and I believe that's in another gospel account towards them with a snap of his finger or a word of his tongue and this is done. What does that tell us? Jesus is, this is a volunteer calling of Jesus. He's going forward willingly according to the plan of his father. And the question is, was he to these guys and to this group, was he going to be like these other insurrectionists who were not an uncommon group in this era? Uh, There were those who held the keeping of the, they wanted the purity of Judaism and they saw Rome and secularism going on. And so there were certain insurrections who would rise up and cause trouble. And he's like, Jesus is saying, if you come out to me like you're against a robber, you've got swords, is that who you think I am? And so even though his disciples had a couple of swords, if he needed those, he, Jesus did have the means to subdue this whole mob. He could do it right away. And yet there was another option And that's the option that leads us to verse 49. He could fight or he could fulfill. Verse 49 says, Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. I think it's for this reason, this verse, and really really this last part of verse 49 is pivotal to this night into the life of Jesus. He points out he's been in the wide open. Anytime in the temple you can seize me, that sort of thing. But it's this hour and then Jesus gives the reason. Now it's a bit hidden in your English translation. It's there. You see the word after the period in there. You, and you did not seize me, period. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. That's what we're looking at. And your text might say it a little differently. That B-U-T, that but there is it's a strong one. There's weaker ones and there's strong ones. This is a stronger one. And then there's the words in here. You don't see it so much in the translation, but there's a so that in there. There's a purpose. You've come, you could have seized me anytime, and now you're here. And Jesus says, but so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. There's a purpose. What's the purpose of this night of Jesus is for fulfillment of scriptures, God's purpose. I don't think there's necessarily one scripture that I believe Jesus is pointing to, but I think rather all of scripture might be fulfilled or is being fulfilled and what's taking place through this. Certainly there's suffering predicted in Isaiah uh, 53. Uh, We read of Proverbs 26, the kiss of an enemy. We read... uh, I think it's a couple weeks back, Zechariah, and this, this idea of the, sca- the striking of the shepherd and the sheep scattering in Zechariah. But then in a general sense, I do want us to go to John chapter 5. So 
Mark, Luke, John. Go to chapter 5. As we think about this phrase of Jesus saying, let all Scripture be fulfilled, or let the Scriptures be fulfilled. This is the purpose, so that they be fulfilled. John chapter 5, and I'll look at verse verse 39 here. The Jews here, they're in a dispute with Jesus, and earlier John says they were seeking all the more to kill him. But then Jesus ties the Scriptures to himself in John 5, 39, and then I'll read uh, through the end of the chapter. Jesus says to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. It's Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All of Scripture is one book, a story of redemption pointing to Jesus, bearing witness, Jesus says, about him. These point to me. And so back in Mark 14, in verse 49, Jesus places so much importance on the Scriptures. Think of this. This is Jesus, that he is intent on suffering to the point of death Precisely because they must be fulfilled. You say that Jesus is intent on suffering to the point of death that these scriptures be fulfilled. Do you think they're important to Jesus? Yes. Why? These are God's words. They're not just some book, an ancient book we like to study and maybe glean some wisdom for this day or how to deal with this situation. They're God's words. And Jesus saw them. He had a high view of Scripture. A book written by the breath of God. So if Jesus placed this, placed this much importance on what was said in the Word, then so should we. And as Jesus said, the Bible does not give life, but it points to the life giver. That's why our study and what we see, we want to see Christ from Passover, from the beginning of creation to the end, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so he had Jesus here on this night had two options. He could fight and certainly win, or he could fulfill. And Jesus, who does always the will of the Father, fulfills the Word of God. And kids, if you're wondering, the servant with the ear, he healed him. That was no problem. He's better. Well, there is more fulfillment, and it's in verse 50. And it's fulfillment of Jesus' words that they would all fall away. That's what verse 50 says. They all left him and fled. What made them flee? I don't, you could think maybe they were scared of arrest, scared of the, the jail they would be in, scared of persecution or beatings. 
Maybe they feared pain and suffering. They wanted to preserve themselves. Whatever it is, they wanted no part of this night. And so they all left him and fled. Again, fulfilling their spirit had been willing. Their flesh was weak. And these disciples had a fear of man that outweighed their fear of God. Really, this is the fulfillment, isn't it, of chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said to him, you will all fall away. Here, the fulfillment, we get an idea there. When Jesus says something, it's a sure thing, they'll all fall away. So really, in the end, it's not even Judas alone who betrays Jesus In fact, all, in a way, did, didn't they? They all left. They all fled Jesus, all 12 of them. And then we read this interesting two sentences of this young man. Verse 51, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I realize I'm not sure what kind of pictures I'm going to get on our pictures of the week next week, but kids, I'm just going to trust you. Do your best with just something with that. But um, here's this story, this young man. And I think there's uh, some speculation. Who, who was this guy? Um, I, I go with the idea this is Mark. This is Mark, the author, kind of giving his little bit in there. This young man, yeah, it was me. I'm the one that fled nothing. I had the linen cloth and I didn't care. I just want to get out of there. Um, perhaps it's his way of anonymously coming into the story. Um, I think that's likely. There's something else, and this is just speculation for the sake of looking at how Mark's written this. If you just look, I mean, at Mark 16.5 on the resurrection morning, there is a young man that shows up here. Now, I don't think this is the same guy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's something literary in a literature form here that's going on of this young man on this this uh, resurrection morning Uh, verse 5 talks about this young man sitting on the right side so mary the two marys come to the tomb that that resurrection morning there's this young man sitting on the right side of the tomb and he's dressed in a white robe Um, could it be that mark here shows both he's using this not to say this is the same guy I don't think so. But where all have fled, okay, this dark night, there's the, in the end, there's another young man, and he stands at the cusp of the utter victory of Jesus, announcing this. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He tells the ladies, don't be afraid. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. It's interesting. Early, first day of the week, The sun had risen, and there's this reversal of the dark night. It's announced by a young man. I don't know. I don't think it's the same guy. It makes for some interesting speculation. But thinking of how Mark has written this book of these accounts, true accounts. He's not making this up to say, ooh, that would make a good story. I'll put a young man here and a young man. I think to see this dark night of betrayal, a young man that fled, to a young man that announces he's risen and there's hope Satan did not win. Well, we think one more time as we draw to a close of these scattered sheep. The title's been the same, uh, making it easy on Khalees with the bulletin, same for the past 
couple weeks, and we'll probably be the same next week, uh, and then week after. Scattered sheep of a gracious shepherd. What about these scattered sheep here today? They all fled. They all left. And one even left with nothing on. And the reality is, sadly, this too is our story. The weaknesses here of the disciples exhibit for us our weaknesses, our own. Though we know of Jesus, we claim to follow Him, but by His grace, and again, God's grace is at work in you, believer, we too, we are prone to flee. When either the fear of man comes or the pleasures of the world come, and there's this prone, proneness to us as sheep to go, I'm scattered, I see danger, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. It's getting a little too hard. But we can take heart of what Jesus has said to those. And I think those he knew would easily scatter and wander. Here, listen to these words in John 10, 27 through 30 as Jesus talks about his sheep. He says, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, he's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Take heart, believer, O sheep of the Master. That though we scatter, oh, I did it again. That we come back and we hear that voice and that's God's grace to return and repent. Say, Lord, change my heart. Thank you. And Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. What a gracious shepherd. And let's just say, here you go. Do your best, little sheep. I've given you a manual. Go for it. He's a shepherd that comes and says, no one's going to snatch you. You're going to wiggle this way. You're going to fall down that crack. I'm going to pick you up. He's a gracious shepherd. And it's good news because Jesus, here's why, to tie it back into that so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus acts to fulfill all of Scripture. God's promises are sure in Christ. Go one last place to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, and it's verse 18 through 22. Think of this surety as I read this here. Paul has been he's speaking to the church at Corinth about his plans to come to them, and it kind of these plans to this church seemed to kind of be off and on type plans. Was he vacillating? Yes and no. And then he proclaims this about Jesus in verse 18. He says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You may not be into underlining your Bible, but this is a wonderful verse. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Verse 21, and it is God, it's God 
who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What God has spoken, Jesus accomplishes and fulfills. And these are promises we can bank on and rely on. You want to read promises in Scripture? Well, how do I know if God will be faithful? Be, yes, in Jesus. All the promises are fulfilled in Him. Will He give me eternal life? Yes, in Jesus. Redemption, salvation, the righteousness, promise fulfilled, not in me, in Jesus. What about my blessing? Comfort? One day. Love, joy, grace, a seal, a guarantee of the Holy Spirit, yes, in Christ. And to all of us prone to scatter and run away in the night, we can praise God for His gracious shepherd, Jesus, who brings scattered sheep to be reconciled to their God. Let's pray. We praise the name of the Lord our God. You are high and lifted up and exalted because you fulfill every one of your promises. You were willing to fulfill them though you could have defeated this army, this band of soldiers or leaders of San Sanhedrin. And yet, Lord, to bring redemption to mankind for your glory, you fulfilled every word. And you continue, because you live, to fulfill every promise. And Lord, when the world tempts us and our own flesh tempts us to bank on other promises and other hopes and other people and other situations, may we be anchored in the sure word and steadfast promise of Jesus Christ. And may we look forward to the promised day that you will return. Father, lead us out of here in hope of you. And we pray in the great name of our Savior. Amen.